Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day of your grace, another day of life. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the truth that it entails. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you have given to each believer here. And Lord, we want to be attentive to your word and see its truth, and we want to be attentive to your Holy Spirit, uh, that you would speak truth and life and light into our lives, Lord, and that our lives would be used in uh, bringing you glory and bringing you praise and seeing your kingdom expand and um, the at the end, we would be found faithful for all that you entrusted into our care. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. In um, public speaking class, they'll, or, like in, or homiletics, right? Homiletics is the fancy Bible word for preaching because, I don't know, we just put difficult words to simple things. And, um, but they'll always talk about like that first minute is really important, right? Like you have about a minute really capture their attention and then they're going to decide whether or not they want to listen to you for the rest of it and so people will incorporate like a joke or a story or something like that and sometimes you know you can incorporate your own story and segue into it and sometimes there's a story in scripture and you can just use that you know to kind of to kind of get things rolling well today's story actually appears in Matthew Mark and Luke we have three different accounts of it the fact that three of the four gospels recorded it, suggests that this must have been kind of significant. If you look at the three accounts and and you kind of compare notes and kind of piece it together, what we have is is we have a gentleman who is just, who is filthy dirty. He has been living in the tombs with dead people. Um, He is screaming at the top of his lungs. He is buck naked And he is sprinting at Jesus and the disciples as fast as he can go. I cannot top that. Right? Like, I have no story that segues into that. I can't give you anything from my own life. Like, if that doesn't somehow kind of capture your attention, then just take a nap. It's hopeless for you. Um, And as much as it's kind of like, hey, picture this, it's also like, don't picture this. Uh, but this is the scenario of, of what we have, have going on. So that's how our story begins today. Um, we're in, in a sermon series. We're going through the book of Luke. Today we're in Luke. We're in chapter 8, starting in verse 26, where, demon, where, where Jesus heals um, a, a man that has all this demonic influence in his life. Some of your Bibles may say Jesus heals a demoniac. Um, that Some of the terminology is, is like uh, worded that way. Um, As I said, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this event, uh, so it must have been pretty notable, and I mean the story is pretty notable. Um, I love this story. I think this is a fantastic story. Um, We actually covered this story back when we were doing a sermon series on Mark, and so at first I thought, oh, I don't want to repeat it. We just covered this. It's still going to be fresh in their minds, Um, but that was March of 2017. So, like, I think Taylor was in high school, so I was like, you know... We're probably, it's been five years. I think we can revisit this one. Um, so, if some of, so if the story's familiar, it's because you were here in 2017 and you remember a sermon from 2017, which is pretty remarkable. Um, 
I think this story gives us such a, a, a powerful, vivid depiction of, of man's brokenness, of Jesus' power and authority, um, the compassion of Jesus, but also at the same time, the, the willingness of some parts of humanity where they will actually choose dysfunction and pain and sin and even the demonic over Jesus. Like they would rather keep that than, than have Jesus. So let me, let me read this to you. Uh, like I said, I'm in Luke 8. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 26 and go to um, verse uh, 39. Uh, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out onto land, right, so there's kind of this immediate sense to it. When Jesus had stepped out onto land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Uh, For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man, from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home, declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Um, On the map, just kind of as a little bit of a background um, on the left is a picture just of the full region, right? Sea of Galilee is up on top, Dead Sea's on the bottom. And then on the right, we just zoom in a little bit. So Jesus had been in Capernaum, and then they had uh, sailed over to the uh, Gerasenes or, or Gerasia, and then, um, and then returned. You can also note that this is actually the only thing they did on this trip. They sailed over, they had this conversation with this gentleman on the beach, and then they returned, right? Like that was, that was the only thing that, that happened on this trip, just... Sailed over, freed the man, uh, and, and then they returned. Um, it's kind of interesting. Some of you may recall the story where Jesus heals the storm. We're in the boat, and it's really windy, and the disciples think they're going to drown. That's actually the story that precedes this. They are on their way over 
when that storm hits, right? And Jesus is sleeping and all the, the experienced seamen are thinking they're going to die. And, you know, also, and they wake up Jesus and, and he calms the storm. Um, fantastic story of Jesus and authority over weather and nature and that kind of thing. And there are many um, natural reasons why that would happen and, and why that did happen and how storms would come up suddenly and all of that. It is interesting, though, the scholars have noted that the terminology that Jesus used to calm the storm is the, some of the same terminology, at least in the Greek, uh, the same terminology that Jesus used to deal with the demons. And so scholars have simply raised the question, like, do you just use the same words for both? Or was that storm somehow spiritually inspired or... You know, was there, was there some element of Satan wanting to, to keep, Satan, uh, keep Jesus away? We don't know, other than just say scholars have noted, hey, the terminology on both of those is pretty similar, and that's interesting. And what do you do with that? As a reminder on this too, remember for, for the Jewish people, being clean or being unclean was a really big deal, right? All this kind of ceremonial cleanliness and uncleanliness, um, and that determined, I mean, you know, whether or not you could do business and how you interact with others or whether or not you're an outcast outside the city. So being clean and being unclean was a big deal um, for, for the Jewish people. Where they arrived is Gentile country, right? So, and, and the Gentiles, which is so basically you have the Jewish people and then they just refer to the whole rest of the world as Gentiles. Um, they, they really looked down on the Gentiles. They, the Jews saw the Gentiles as just an inferior people group. Um, so they've kind of already got that stigma in their mind that, that they're probably dealing with. Uh, when they show up in the distance, you know, you've got these pigs, 2,000 pigs. Um, pigs were also considered unclean. Like, that's a problem. Like, they, they don't get to eat bacon like, like you and I, right? Like, no, no pigs. That's, that's unclean. Where they land, or at least where, where we think they landed, right? Because we know that there are tombs in the area. But there's one section where the, the hills, kind of the, the overhanging um, hills, contained a lot of like coves or natural caves that were carved in, into the limestone rock, and they would use those as tombs for the dead, right? And again, for the Jewish people, they're not supposed to touch dead bodies because it would have been unclean and that kind of thing, right? So they, they basically land at the local cemetery um, where this, this guy is living among the, the deads. Um, so you've got the Gentiles who are considered inferior. You've got the pigs who are considered unclean. You've got all these dead bodies. You've got this guy who's living amongst the dead bodies. Like for the Jewish people, just everything about this was, and by Jewish people, I mean the disciples, right? Like everything about this was just unclean, 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 like just, just bad, right? Um, it says they traveled by night. So they would have, would have arrived, I don't know, morning, you know, whether is it still dark, is it pre-dawn, or has the sun been up for a little while, I'm not sure. But so they, they arrive early morning. No one announces their arrival. No one knows they're coming. They travel by night. They land basically in the local cemetery in the morning. No one knows they're coming. No one is waiting for them. And yet someone is vividly aware that they have just arrived vividly aware that 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 they have that they have arrived so out of the caves comes this man he is filthy he's been living amongst the dead for some time um other accounts say that he would um cut or gash himself with stones 
So this guy is probably scarred, maybe scabbed, maybe still bleeding, but he would self-mutilate with stones um, and, and cut himself up that way. Locals would try to bind him with chains and shackles, but with demonic superhuman strength, he would break those free. So maybe, I don't know if he's still got shackles on, on wrist or ankles or not. Uh, he's naked. We've covered that part. Um, like, but this man is just the embodiment of unclean, just filthy trash. Um, he is yelling. He is screaming at the top of his lungs. He runs right for Jesus. And it's the, when, when you look at, again, kind of the, the three accounts, it's fascinating because he gets close and then he, it looks like he just literally dives into the dirt before Jesus. The, the original Greek on that is actually uh, proskuneo, and it is, it is almost always translated as worship. But it will sometimes also be translated as to, um, as to like a, a prostrate, like, like lay yourself face down in the dirt in front of someone. Right? So early dawn, and this guy comes in screaming, and then, as near as we can tell, I mean, just, just kind of lays down flat, dives down flat in the dirt in front of Jesus, and begs, begs for mercy. Nothing's happened. Jesus got out of the boat, and screaming crazy man comes in, slides into the dirt, begs for mercy. And you, I mean, from the disciples' perspective, like, this guy just recalibrated their understanding of lowest of low, right? Because back home, they don't make crazy like this. This is a whole new level of crazy, right? There's a couple of times where we see kind of in detail of Jesus interacting people with people of some kind of demonic influence. Um, When you look at those, like, Jesus never berates these people. Um, he doesn't scold them. He, he doesn't, you know, kind of review their list of bad life decisions. Um, he treats them with dignity. He, he treats them with compassion. I mean, just, I mean, from a human perspective, like, who was this guy? Like, like, did he have a family? Like, how long had he been like this? Did, it, did his parents still live in town? Like, somewhere there's a mom and a dad. Um, maybe he had nieces and nephews. I don't know, maybe he had kids of his own. Maybe there was a wife and kids in town. They're pretty embarrassed by, by this whole thing. The demonic force that oppressed this man um, called themselves legion. Legion is a military term. It denotes a group of 4,000 to 6,000 soldiers. It was just the fighting force of, of the time. Does this mean that there were four to 6,000 demons in him? I, we don't know, other than to simply imply that there were a lot. Right? And it was enough that the 2,000 pigs went into the ocean as, as well, too. And so, whatever that's required. So, um, just to say that there's a lot. So, we've got this huge mass of demons, however many, a lot, all packed into one man. And, and this man and these demons are just a terror to the surrounding region. The, the thing that, that tortured and demoralized this man... The, the thing which could not be bound by chains or shackles. The thing that wants nothing more than to just torture and torment people. The thing that hates people, hates you. When Jesus gets out of the boat, this thing comes in at full sprint, dives face first into the dirt, 
and begs for mercy from Jesus. I love how this story shows us how great God is. Right? That this thing that can literally torment an entire region, and he's not even summoned. He just knows Jesus arrived, and so he comes in on his own free will and begs for mercy. You, by yourself, are not that victorious. You're not that good. Like, you're just not. But for the believer who carries around the Holy Spirit, like you, you carry someone with, you carry within you someone who is. If you take a situation like this, this, and you view it in the natural, justifiably, you will freak out and be very terrified. If you can view this in the spiritual, you should actually have a deep sense of compassion for this man. And you should have a pending sense of victory. Like it's just around the corner. Total different paradigm shift and worldview shift on how you approach this. What's the deal with the pigs? Because the, the pig story is odd, right? Um, and does Jesus not care about pigs? And they like, can we go into the pigs? And then all the pigs die right away. Like what, like. I mean, it's it feasible that Jesus just, like, bankrupt, like, a dozen pig farmer, ranchers, herders, like, in the community. Um, so, like, what do we—and you kind of assume that Jesus knew that this was going to happen with the pigs. Like, I don't think he was surprised by, by the pigs, but it's just—it's a weird story. Um, let, let me share one good theory, uh, but just as a reminder, you know, any interpretation on the pigs is secondary just because Scripture doesn't tell us. Um, you know, so we are just kind of from what we can understand with history and, and the region. Um, but lots of people wonder ab- about the pigs. Um, I've heard lots of several theories on the pigs. Uh, pretty much all of them are really bad. Um, but I've, one theory, though, that actually makes um, a lot of sense and actually works. Um, so a, a friend of mine uh, who does a lot of work with, um, like, people coming out of the occult and have a background in, in this and peen, seeing people set free and that kind of thing, right? Uh, several years ago, he's in the region. He's doing a tour. There are several other, um, like, Ph.D. archaeologists with him in, in the group. Um, and when they're in this region, the archaeologists talk about how they have found in that region where they would use pigs, and I think they were black pigs? I'm, I'm not sure if that's relevant or not. But, but they have found evidence where they would use pigs in, a, in occultic or satanic rituals in the area, right? Like, they found evidence of the sacrifices and the pig bones and, and whatever else. So this was a thing that would take place in this. And from this man's work and, and just in his work with demonic and that kind of thing, his theory is that they, they were hoping and kind of trying to trick Jesus, if they had gone back into the pigs and then those pigs were used in occultic sacrifices, then basically they kind of get re- recycled back into service um, through, through that, right? But they never got the chance because the pigs um, head into the water and, and die. If that is true, meh, best theory I've heard so far. If that is true, what's interesting is that when the pigs died, it actually wiped out their ability to do those occultic sacrifices, right? Because the the thing that I have a problem with is that if the pigs are only used for, like, eating and, like, conducting business, like, why did Jesus allow that to happen? 
Like, that doesn't make any sense that Jesus on a whim is just going to willingly wipe out the economic stability of an entire region because whatever, I don't like pigs. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. But if the pigs were used in these occultic practices, then that makes a lot more sense because not only has this man been set free, but their entire system of, of engaging in this got wiped out as well too. The other reason why that makes sense is that you see at the end that these people are terrified. And they're not ter- and the thing that terrifies them is one man sitting clothed in his right mind. They show up, they see one man normal and they get very very scared. And the only reason I think why that makes sense is that they have some sense of the demonic power that that was somehow associated with that guy. And now he's normal, and so they recognize that Jesus, the stranger who just showed up, whoever this Jesus guy is, he is way more powerful than that. And that is why they get scared and why, why they, they want him to go. Because there's a sense that some spiritual power far greater than what they have ever seen or encountered just stepped on their shores. All theory, best theory I've heard so far, though. Um, let me ask you this. What happens when you reverse the roles in your mind? Right? Because oftentimes we like to picture ourselves as like the hero or the good guy. Right? David and Goliath. No one pictures themselves as Goliath. Right? Like no one's sitting there going, I wonder what it's like to get smacked in the forehead with a rock and then have my head cut off. You know, like, like no one goes there mentally. Right? We always picture ourselves as David. Um, but what happens when you picture yourself as not the disciples but as this man? Some kind of demonic presence screaming inside your head 24-7. Desperately want to be free, but can't. You're alone. You're an outcast. You're naked. You're vulnerable. You're disgraced. No one likes you. No one wants to be around you. No one understands how desperately you don't want to be this way, and yet how fully you feel trapped in being this way. And then what does it mean when Jesus steps on the shore? Like, what does that mean for you? This is your one chance. Your one chance. You don't know how long Jesus is going to be here. You know who he is. The rest of the people don't, but you know. Like, how desperate would you be for freedom, for acceptance, for a chance to be normal? How deep is your longing to be understood to be a regular person, to be appreciated as a regular person? How desperate are you to just simply be able to interact with others normally and to no longer be the freak show that has to live out in the countryside with the dead people because you can't find any other shelter? Like, how desperate are you for freedom from all of that? Because here's the other thing. I think that this man's story is really our story as well, too. The the parable storylines between this man and our spiritual salvation mirror mirror each other so much. Like, you could almost make this just an analogy for what happens for us spiritually. Right? 
And even just on a day-to-day life, we get beat up and bloodied with our skirmishes, with the life and the world, and sometimes it feels like we just live or dwell in dark places mentally, and we can't seem to get free, and we struggle with the same stupid sin time and time again, and some days it feels like the chains are broken, and sometimes it feels like we're bound up again, and some days we feel like great Christians, and some days we feel like horrible sinners, and we battle the voices inside of us, Some days we don't even know who we're listening to anymore. This man is roughed up, he's bruised, he's scarred. And we don't know, I mean, maybe some of it was his own doing, maybe some of it was done to him without his permission. Maybe all of one and none of the other, maybe a blend. Like, how did he get this way? Because he probably started off normal. And then somewhere along the line, all this happened. And then this stranger gets out of a boat and asks him his name. Stranger speaks kind words to him, calms him, takes away the voices, takes away the hurt, takes away the demons, the bondage, gives him new clothes to wear. That's a fascinating part of the story. And then sends him home with a very simple command, uh, you know, just go and tell people what the Lord has done for you. I think some people may experience something like this physically, but I think to a certain degree, all of us experience this spiritually, right? Spiritually, this is our story. Filthy, wretched, haunted, living among the dead. A man crosses over to our homeland. We cry for help. We are calmed. We are healed. We are clothed. We are put in our right minds, sitting at the feet of Jesus. All the while, the world watches understands none of it and in the end we are no longer welcome in the world where we once lived it is it is my story it is your story a vivid illustration of what we have been saved from and what we have been saved to and the focus of this story is not the man and not his filth and not the demons and not the pigs the focus of the story is a gracious king who steps on foreign soil so that he can do this for one man. The saddest part of this story is actually not the man, it's the response of the locals. Right? The pigs die. The herdsmen flee. They go tell everyone what has happened. Some people come out. They see what has happened. They see this man sitting clothed and in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. That's what they see. And it scares them, terrifies them. At first it talks about fear, and then they hear the story, and then it escalates to great fear. And I do think part of it was power. Like they recognized, because a man sitting calmly should not fear you unless you realize the power that it took to get him there. And I think part of that is what terrified them. They, they had a sense of, of, of the power of the demonic, But this new stranger was far more powerful than what they had ever seen or encountered. It is encouraging. It it is encouraging, like think about it from this gentleman, that God can do such a work in your life that your friends will not recognize you. And even to the point where your friends will become scared because you are such a different person. God is able to change us in such a way that our old friend group is scared because we are so different. 
But it's sad because this community would rather have the way things were, like with their pigs and with the crazy, possessed, demonic dude, they would rather have that than the great healer in their midst. Other communities, when someone got healed, they brought out all the sick, right? Oh, this is awesome. Bring out all the sick. Bring out all the demon-possessed, right? Big, massive crowds form around Jesus. He's healing left and right and preaching and telling the gospel and all this other kind of stuff. This group would rather have dysfunctional familiar than the God of heavens healing all the sick people in town. They would rather have psycho crazy man than Jesus. Now we come to the amazing part, right? The disciples spend three years at the side of Jesus, okay? Learning from Jesus, getting taught by Jesus, that kind of thing. This man meets Jesus for a day. He wants to go with Jesus, and Jesus says, no, no training, no instruction, no teaching, no partner, just his testimony, his story, go tell what Jesus has done for you. Okay, for starters, no one can ever take away your story. No, no one can ever take away your testimony. Like, you, like, they may argue about it or say you're a liar, but, like, that's your story. You're, like, no one can actually take away your story. Jesus, to, and it, the, the comparison, Jesus says, go to your friends. It says that he went to the Decapolis. The, that means um, Decapolis breaks down as ten cities. It was basically a reference to the entire region, right? Jesus says, tell your friends. He hit up, like, the whole county, the whole region. Um, Jesus says, share with a few people, like the guy goes city to city. Um, Jesus tells, and again, different Greek here. Jesus tells him, hey, go report. It says he proclaimed. Um, Like everything Jesus told him to do, he went and did more. In Mark's account, this happens, I think it's chapter 5. In chapter 7, Jesus returns to the Decapolis and does ministry there. In Mark 8, he feeds 4,000 Gentiles, and it's believed that that also possibly happened in the Decapolis where he was at. It, it's possible, again, we're not entirely sure, but it's very possible that this man basically went ahead of Jesus in this Gentile country and proclaimed, because after he proclaimed all these other things happened, that he was really in some ways like preparing a way for Jesus and for these other events. And we say that simply because we see Jesus do this other times, right? John the Baptist, you know, go prepare the way. He sends out the 12 at one point, go and prepare the way. Uh, He's got 72 others. We don't even know who they were, right? Go and prepare the way, right? So there's this pattern of sending people ahead of him to go prepare the way, and then Jesus follows later on and does ministry. And what we have here, when you look at the whole thing, you have Jesus healing a man and then telling him, go tell your story, and then Jesus follows up a couple of chapters later and does ministry all throughout the region. It's possible that one man with one story prepared an entire region for the coming of Jesus. This is a good story. This is a very good story. We have a man who goes from just like the ultimate in unclean, filth, broken, outcast to seated at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed and in his right mind. We have a community that 
most likely realizes the spiritual powerful the, the spiritual power is more powerful than anything they have ever witnessed and so they decide that they would rather have the familiar and the dysfunctional and the broken and the false gods and the demo- demonic they would rather have that than Jesus in their midst and you have Jesus who is so powerful that when he gets out of the boat and, and, and his foot hits the shore, that all those who oppose him run to him to beg for mercy. That is the God that you and I serve. And, and that is the power and the transformation that is available to you and I and anyone else who would want it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for such a powerful story. Um, It's a fun story, to be sure, um, but it's also powerful. Uh, Lord, your power, your might, your majesty is so on display in this story. Lord, our own brokenness uh, and humanity um, is so on display in this story. But also, Lord, the transformation that is available through you. What a remarkable story. Lord, I pray for everyone here and for everyone listening, that that would be their story as well too. Regardless of what the past looked like, Lord, that through you, we can be spiritually clothed and in our right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.